Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got a bonus episode today with special guest Peter Schmeichel of CBS Sports. We've had some great guests lately, including Andy Markovitz, John Champion, and Dermot McCory. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story, which just got nominated for a Webby. Now, here's my interview with Peter Schmeichel. Our guest now is one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. Peter Schmeichel won five Premier League titles with Manchester United, as well as a UEFA Champions League title, and he won Euro 1992 with Denmark. He won a lot of other things, too, but we'll leave it at that. These days, he's a regular on the CBS Sports Paramount Plus broadcasts of the Champions League. Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Really excited to talk to you, and I definitely want to discuss this week's Champions League semifinal return legs and your thoughts on goalkeeping and a couple other things, but we've got to start with the Manchester United fan protests over the weekend over the owner Glazer family that that caused United Liverpool to be postponed. What's your reaction right now, a day after it happened? Yeah, I mean, my reaction hasn't really sort of changed as to what it was yesterday. I was I was I was well warned because it was Manchester United's uh, supporters trust that had called for the uh, demonstration, and I'm a member of them, uh, and and. Uh, you know they call for a very they call for a demonstration, but a peaceful one, and they were warning against you know uh, making this uh, uh, into what it actually became you know a, an act of, of violence because that could be counterproductive, um, and we were saying it's important that we get our message across uh, and certain things. So I, I kind of knew that this was going to happen. Uh, it's unfortunately it is it's predictable. Um, that some violence and some idiots would would just use that opportunity to to do whatever they want to do, which is, you know, well, we saw that yesterday. I don't even have to sort of repeat that. But the, and the very, very few people who did that kind of muddied the picture a little bit. Um, and the message that uh, most, or Manchester United Supporters Trust, they have, or the fans they have, um, didn't come out clearly enough, and that's that's a big shame, because we have to go back to uh, to that weekend two and a half weeks ago, when the 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 very familiar rumors about uh, a, a breakaway league, a European Super League, uh, started to rumble again. We've heard we've heard about this since 1998, 99, I think that was the first time. It's always been used as a tool or a weapon to threaten your effort to get more money out of the Champions League. So um, I was very, very shocked, like everybody else, that the plans were so progressed. uh, And they were, I mean, I think the good thing was they never, ever, ever thought about communication, even though they hired people to to do that for them. So the way it came out was clumsy and that made people react the way they did. Um, And from then on, it's been very clear that something needs to change and of course Manchester United Liverpool being the biggest game in club football domestic game in club football I put it that way uh, in the world with the most viewers the most attention that was a perfect um, platform for this demonstration to take place 
the Liverpool fans already did that. They were spontaneous uh, and and played a very big part in this in all six clubs from England. Um, jumping out of the, the, this uh, idea about the league. And Manchester United fans, they obviously, they waited for this game to make their voices known. And I think it's valid. What they're saying, it's valid, you know. I just really don't like the fact that there are so many um, idiots ruining the, the bigger picture for, for, for all of us because we all feel something's got to change. Not only with Manchester United, not only with the ownership of Manchester United, but in football in general. You know, there is... You know, you have either side of, 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 of the coin. You have, you know, clubs who, who think they need, that they would need more money to do the business they do. But you have grassroots and fans on the other side that also wants uh, attention and, and to be taken into consideration. And, and I think the distance between those two has just grown steadily in the last couple of years. And that needs to change. If the Glazers asked you right now, what are the most important things we should do to improve things at Man United that they can control? What would you tell them? Well, I would, first of all, <laughs> I would start to be visible. You know, I start to, to open up conversations with, with Must, for instance, or uh, I, would, I would be there and, and you know, open up a dialogue and, and, and show the world, show the fans that we actually care about this football club um, and, and you know, start to listen to ultimately the fans are paying for the whole show. So start to listen to your customers' needs. What is it that you want? And of course, if you're Manchester United, um, who we have a, a, a very, we have a great history of good and evil, good and bad. Uh, that so much has happened in in the in the many many years the club uh, existed, and uh, we've had incredible ups, incredible downs. Um, but we we are a very very strong club, and we've always, in the time that I've been connected with the football club, uh, especially in the time when I was active and inside, I've always felt this incredible sense of of belonging, togetherness, and, you know, we are this family. It doesn't matter what your position is, we are a family, and that family extends into the, the fan base as well. So if if you guys are not here, we will not be able to do this. And, you know, at the end of the day, you are the whole reason that we're doing it. We, you know, we, we play for the fans. Um, and, and and also we we understand uh, we understand the needs of our fans and, and how they live and how much what we do on the pitch or the coaches are doing in coaching or you know the leadership of the club is doing in business and we understand how much this means to you and therefore you have to trust us to do the best that we can do now those messages they're not out there anymore that that's gone that's gone steadily slowly over the last sixteen years. Um, the club has gone into. Um, I, I won't. I won't use the word decline because it's not decline. In it, but but it's it's slowly eroding. It's slowly. You see, our physical facilities, when the Glazer family took it over, were the best in the country, possibly in the world. Best stadium, best training ground. Um, that's not the case anymore. We also had the best team. You know, we had the best players. We had the best manager. And you know, we can't say we have that anymore. You know, and that is something that uh, that really hurts the fans. So if I if I was to advise the Glazers, I would say, listen, you have to come up with a different plan. You have to meet you have to meet your customers. You have to be there. 
They have to see you. They have to listen to you. You know, Joel Glazer's made one statement in the old old time that he that he's uh, been involved in Manchester United, and that was that night. You know, where he kind of fronted the European European Super League. Then the club came out with a statement, which is I don't know if it was signed by Joel, but it, it definitely was not what the fans wanted to hear. And then we're not we're not sure about who it came from. So a lot of openness, a new plan, uh, and maybe convince convince Manchester United fans that you care for this. I think that will that will mean the world for for everyone. Um, so. I, I do want to ask you about these big Champions League semifinal return legs this week. You were in Paris for Man City's second half comeback against PSG in leg one. PSG needs to score at least twice in this return leg. How do you think Kylian Mbappe can have a bigger influence in this game than he did last week? I don't think he can. I, I honestly don't think he can. I think Manchester City are, first of all, they're in front. You, you you never let Manchester City be in front. Um, I think one of the key things that, that happened in that game in terms of Gillian Mbappe was uh, that his pace was equalized by Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker is quick as anything. Um, and the way they played, they didn't leave they didn't leave that much space in behind the defense and, and, and Edison. And every time the ball had some potential, Edison dealt with that. And if not, uh, it was an equal match between um, Killian and Kyle, the two K- KYs. <laughs> it was, <laughs> um, and I don't think he's used to that. At the same time, um, it, it's very clear that uh, Mauricio Pochettino is he's putting a mark on this team. You can see that it's beginning to look like his way of playing. And one of the things he's always been renowned for is that everyone on the pitch works hard, really, really hard. It took him. It took him some time to get the Tottenham players fit enough to do that for ninety minutes, um, and and of course once he did that, you know they became very successful. Champions League final, okay, not it's not didn't really happen for them in the league, but at least they had some some positive development. Uh, now with PSG, I don't think Neymar has ever ran as much as he did in that first half. <laughs> I don't think he has. It was impressive to watch. Yeah. I mean. I I I very often criticize him for for all the things that I don't like uh, that he's doing. Um, I'm just sorry, because um, I think he I think he's 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 doing a lot of not great things. He dives around, you know. He he's play acting, and he's sometimes he's been selfish. And but I haven't seen that version of Neymar that I saw in the first forty five minutes. Maybe the first. 55 minutes but then he ran out of steam and that was I think that was detrimental for for the way that that game uh, was was sort of developing and I think that was the tactics that was Guardiola that's why he didn't play with a number nine uh, he played that's why he played with strong physical players who could just keep up the same momentum of passing the ball around putting pressure on the ball as soon as they lost it and just passing and passing and passing making players like Neymar run and run out of mm-hmm. steam. And the thing is with Neymar, um, he's not somebody you, you are not going to substitute him after 60 minutes because you always hope as a coach that he will do something that either we scores a goal or he put somebody in. It, it didn't happen. He didn't have the energy. It was it, tactically, it was fantastically well thought out by, by Pep. Uh, and that's why I don't think they have a chance because they're just going to do the same again. 
Uh, it's interesting for me to see that we Pep's gotten this reputation in Champions League later rounds in recent years as, quote, overthinking things. He doesn't seem to be doing that this time around. And and maybe it's unfair that he got that reputation. What's happened is he hasn't won Champions League in a while. It's been a decade. Um, But, like, so far he seems to have gotten things right. Yeah, I think think he gets more and more mature as well. He's understanding of. What is needed is is you know is also developing, uh, I, and what what I think it's worth noticing. I take the take away the game against Crystal Palace over the weekend, because obviously that was a game in between two semi-finals, two probably the two most important games that he's going to play all season. But he kind of sticks with the same players. It's very very few uh, changes that he makes when it really really matters. We saw that in the in the League Cup final. We've seen that in games where it really bad. And of course, we saw that in Paris as well. Um, so he's not making massive changes anymore, which means that he's trusting his players to do what what um, what he's training them to do. So training now kicks in. Uh, and and the thing about a coach that 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 changes tactics from game to game, it kind of confuses players. I know you get to this level of football. They can they can cope with that more often than not. Sometimes they can, and when a coach then changes something so much that like like Pep has done over the years, then he puts that insecurity onto the players, and this is where it's not great. Of course, if you look at it on paper, it looks good. The, the, the personnel is good and all that, great players, but because he's done that, he might have created a little bit of nervousness. And, and passed on his insecurity to the team, which then, uh, you know, reflects on, on the uh, the ultimate result. And that, I think, has happened. In the other semifinal, it's slight advantage to Chelsea. It won one after the opening leg with Real Madrid. Good performance in Spain by Chelsea. Ooh. We're an American podcast here. And <laughs> Christian Pulisic's goal last week is probably the most important club goal ever scored by an American Polisic's obviously had an up and down season, but he's playing pretty well right now. What do you make of Polisic? No, I, I, I mean we've had this discussion on our CPS program, um, and and what I, I've I've said. Uh, so so what you do, you read between the lines of of uh, the coaches. It started out with Frank saying, you know, he he's not he's not fully fit. He's he's carrying this. There there might not be big injuries, but it's enough. To not play them from the beginning, um, because somebody else is good and somebody else can do that job. Now, uh, hit the nail with Thomas Tuchel said, "Well, he he's a fantastic player, and he might play a part in this game." And he's slowly, slowly coming back. This is about five weeks ago, I think. Slowly coming back, uh, so he will play a part in this game. And that that got me thinking that he is thinking about him as a starting player, but at the moment he's not fit enough. He's coming back from injury. Um, playing in the Premier League, and if you're playing consistently week out and uh, like week in week out, then you need a a certain level of physicality, strongness. Um, and I don't think he's had that. I don't think he's had that kind of run. But it looks like he's been nurtured back in. And in those games where he said he's going to play a part, he's come on. He's put him on for 15 minutes, for 25 minutes. And he's made a difference because he's someone who can keep the ball. That That is no secret. But he's also someone, and they are very rare today, who can create, create chances for himself, create chances for others. 
and, and I think in the last was it, three or four games, he, he's in the starting 11. And when you go away to Real Madrid and you start and you're that kind of player, it tells you a story that he, this guy is someone, he knows him from Borussia Dortmund, of course. This is a guy I'm going to build something around. And it only, only makes sense because he's a rare kind of player. He is a rare kind of player that you don't see very often in, the, in modern day football. So if I was Thomas Tuchel, I would look at him as one of my my uh, my players in the spine of the team that I build around, and then you, you add a little bit around him. Let's take a quick break from our interview with Peter Schmeichel, and I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga and France's Ligue 1 currently the best title races in Europe and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis, and you can watch all the action from La Liga, Ligue 1, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, a tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch top leagues from Austria, Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, the Women's Soccer Channel, ATA Football, Gold TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. People here in the U.S. have really enjoyed your Champions League coverage on CBS, including me. Am I right in sensing that it's a bit more laid back in the approach that you guys are taking than how you tend to do things on European television? It's definitely more laid back than than the so I've been broadcasting now for going on 20 years uh, and it is very laid back it's there's always been an element of having a laugh you need to have a little laugh it needs to be funny it can't be just serious but this is a little bit more and I understand that uh, American television that there, there, there must be a certain level of entertainment in there it's striking the balance that of course is a challenge for us um, I, I watched I watched the program back on Thursday, the Europa League. And I think that's probably one of the best sports broadcasts I've ever seen. Kate's dad come on, you know. Um, and this is what I really like to be part of, a, a program that, that becomes that flexible, that at the spur of a moment, uh, they've got no Man United fans in the studio, but your dad is a Man United. And it's all, you know, it's all taking a little bit of Mickey on, on, uh, on Kate. Who is a Manchester United? And you got the you got Kate's dad on, and Kate's dad was brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I like I like the fact that that can happen. But what is very very important, I think, and I think this is where we're striking the balance right, at least in the year that we've done that, is it never crosses the line, it never gets silly, and we still when it when we need where we need it on to analyze and explain. So everybody is on board. We can do that, and we do that not only, not only good in in terms of how it's projected, but very technically, very very good. So we've got some incredible people behind the cameras and uh, in the editing suites who, uh, in, in analyzing, uh, can can bring out the right clips. 
I phone up and say, listen, I want to show this. Can you find me two or three clips that does this? And within, you know, one hour, they're on my phone. And I'm like, Christ, this guy is brilliant. And, and, and so we have very, very good people in, in analyzing, making, uh, making the job that we're doing uh, in, in balance with the other thing. So that's, it's just a lot of all that, which I think is, I mean, it's, it's very new for me. And it's taken me a little bit of time to, to, to kind of adjust to it. And of course, I'm more than anything, I'm away from the studio. So I'm more on location. So I'm also, I'm hampered a little bit by a two-second delay that we always have. Um, but it, I'm getting more and more used to it, and I, I'm liking it more and more. Um, and, and I'm hoping that we can keep doing all that, um, but never cross the line. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I, I want to ask you about goalkeeping. Uh, I was telling you before we started recording, my most recent book is about the craft of soccer position by position. I did chapters interviewing Vincent Company about defending Xabi Alonso in the midfield and Manuel Neuer on goalkeeping. Do you consider Neuer to be an innovator when it comes to the goalkeeper position or are there any genuine innovators in your opinion? Um, I, I think in the question, you have to be more specific. So what's he... What's he? What's the innovation that he's brought into the game? The sweeper keeper is probably the most obvious, or what most people would say that Neuer has done. And maybe he wasn't the very first goalkeeper ever to venture outside of his box. I, you know, I, I think people think look back to the the World Cup game in 2014, Germany Algeria, when he yeah, made yeah. so many plays coming out of his box, and there was such a high line that Germany was taking in that game. That I guess is what the the main innovation yeah. would be. I, I go back to uh, to when they played. Was it Italy? I think they lost one one nil to Italy in Kiev in the uh, in the semi final of the Euros. In twelve, mm-hmm. um, and I, 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 I'm in the stadium. I saw him. He was, you know, heading balls away at the halfway line. I don't think we've seen that before. Uh, and I don't like to sort of project myself here, but I very much played in that way. That's how, that's how we we built a very successful Manchester United team, where we could play a long, long way up the pitch, and then I could sweep up behind, uh, but not on the halfway line. I, I'd never ventured out to do that. I think he's taking. He's taken that idea even further. Uh, I I definitely think that he has he has brought uh, something something new to the game. I think what Manuel Neuer is proving is you don't have to be the best football in order to play football. Because you look at Edison, for instance, Man City's goalkeeper. He's he's technically beautiful to watch. It's what he's. I mean, I I just love watching what he's doing. No panic, just little, and the way he dings the ball. He's He's very much an outfield, high technical, skillful player. Um, at the same time, as being been a very, very good goalkeeper. Manuel Neuer looks a little bit more uncertain in his technique, but he's very, very effective and he's doing very, very well. And I would say, yes, he is. He's definitely brought a lot of new stuff to uh, to to the goalkeeping game. Above everything, above everything, uh, the idea of being. Uh, brave and actually changing, you know, you send two defenders up because we're one nil down, send them up. I'm going to deal with your job now. You know, we take this chance. I, I like that. Um, I'm not, I'm not here to sort of uh, put, 
put my book because I'm coming out with a book in the in the end of the year. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to sort of uh, make an advert for my book, but I go into detail about this. Not so much on me personally. I'm part of it, but what we were as a team at Manchester United. I think if people are interested in that kind of thing, what it means to do something different, and the impact that that can have on a team. Uh, something different, but very much in line with what we were doing, and with full understanding about for everyone. Um, then, then that that's an interesting thing to read, and that's part of what Neuer's done as well. I I use the phrase in my book for what we did. We I call it risk mode, okay. and I think he's taking risk mode to the next level. Interesting. You mentioned Aderson. Are there any other particular specific goalkeepers these days that you really enjoy watching play? Yeah, my son, of course. Yep, I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really do enjoy uh, watching my son play. I think he has he's done exceptionally well. Um, I'm still very, very uh, mystified as why no one big has come in for him because he he does everything right. Has done that. He's in his tenth year for for Leicester. He is. Touch wood. As we speak, he's 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 was it three or four games left in the Premier League. It shows three or four games away from three complete seasons. So, not missed a single game. He's there all the time. He's steady. Doesn't make mistakes. He can play. They're in uh, they're in the FA Cup final. There are uh, at the moment third in the league. They finished fifth in the league last season. They won the championship in fifteen. I mean. Here's a guy who, who can do a lot of, and, and I'm trying to look at him as not my son. Uh, and whenever I, I succeed with that, I see a really, really good goalkeeper. But of course, I love watching him because he is my son. So, yeah. uh, no, he, he's done fantastically well. Yeah. I had the pleasure of interviewing him the season they won the league for Sports Illustrated, and I wrote a story about it. Yeah. And just uh, obviously a fantastic keeper, but a, a really intelligent guy uh, to interview. And, and he yeah. really grasped what was happening in that moment and explained it extremely well. Yeah. Um, are there any others besides Casper Schmeichel oh, and, think, and Anderson? I've had, I've had the, uh, today I had the pleasure of, uh, of interviewing Thibaut Courtois for the game on on, uh, on Wednesday, that's going to go in our program tomorrow in the pre. Nice. Um, uh, I hope pre, I, I'm not sure, but it's going to go in the program tomorrow. So the day before the Chelsea game, that was an interesting conversation. But I, I, I like, I mean, he's for me the only one who, who uh, tries to control the box. So he comes for crosses and he helps out his defenders. Um, it was something that, that I, Due to my size and and the quality of of the Danish league, when I when I just before I came to to Manchester United, it was something that I found very easy to sort of come for crosses, and you know people tended to stay away from me if I came rushing out, and and I developed this idea that if I can come for most crosses, I will then uh, be able to uh, to help out my defenders even more, but more more importantly than not, I can start attacks. So if if we when you play for a club like Man United, you will have the ball most of the time, and you will try to break up a solid defense. So the very few times they are up your end, and it's a corner kick or free kick or cross, they will have committed a few people up there, which means they are not as solid at the back. So if I could come for a cross and then by one pass just overplay, you know, three, four, five players, that would definitely help the team. 
so it was something I worked really hard on all the way throughout my career to can continue uh, to 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 be at that level. And it's it's one of the things that I find a great shame that it's kind of gone away from the goalkeeping position. But in Thibaut Courtois, there is a goalkeeper who does that, and I really seriously admire that. Um, back when I played, the actual football was very different. Today, it's built and it's designed to move a little bit in the air. So, so you, I mean, it's designed to, to 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 score goals, really. But back back when I played, most footballs were very straight. So, whatever you told the ball to do, it would do that. So, if you curled the ball in a certain way, it would stay on that line. So it was a little bit more easy to come for crosses back then. Now they are all over the place. They're swirling, and you know they're not they're not true to to uh, to what footballs were back then. So I, I admire him for doing that. But, and you saw that against Chelsea, the save from Timo Werner. He comes up with very big and important saves when 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 needed. He's also someone I think was up there with the best. But I think we have a lot of great goalkeepers in the world right now. We're talking to Peter Schmeichel. Just a couple more questions. Really appreciate your time, Peter. Um, So I had an interview not too long ago with Paolo Maldini, and he said that he didn't think there were nearly as many elite center backs, center halves in football today as there were 20 years ago. And he thought that was the case mainly due to the modern game asking defenders to do so much more than just defend. Do you agree with him? And what does that mean for goalkeepers? Yeah, I, I agree to some of that. I think there's a little bit more to it. I think uh, if, if you think about what, what a defender really is, in reality, he's a very destructive player. He's someone who stops something else, somebody else for doing something which is, you know, has a positive clang, if you like. It, it's about scoring goal. His job is to stop that. So in a way, it's, it's a destructive thing. And it's, uh, so, so what we see, uh, we see this absolutely loving to defend, getting across and being hit by a ball. We see that element gone out of football a lot. Uh, there are some players out there with that, but I think it's very much a generational thing. So um, as, as we've moved into to this generation now, we... We all have our own little things, our own little media. It's become very, I'm going to show the world who I am. So it's coming about me, 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 me. Uh, and, and when you have yourself as a first person, uh, most important person, uh, then it's about showing how good you are. What can I do? And, and it's not a great way to show how good you are just blocking a shot, for instance. It's not, or, or tackle. tackling is more difficult now. So I, I think defenders are being developed. They still have the raw talent to defend, but they're being developed as footballers as well. And that's that, that in order to do both, it's going to take up all your life to do that. You haven't got the time. And since most managers want to pass the ball out from the back, that's being prioritized. And therefore, those, those guys who can't play, the ones who really, really love to defend and take so much pride in the tackle, they they just don't get playing time, and I think that is what it is. Okay. I agree with with Powell a lot. I think he's you know he's he's a fantastic guy. What he's doing at at AC Milan at the moment it's very very impressive. I've I've got my fingers crossed that they can get over the line and and be in the Champions League next year because AC Milan is a club that needs to be there. Um, 
and and you know what a player he was. I mean, my God. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about a fun video that was posted on a, a Twitter site I follow called Football Shithousery uh, last month called, and this video was football before the pass back rule. And it was an entire video <laughs> series of clips from you at Euro 1992, picking up back passes from your Danish teammates. Mm-hmm. Now we all know you won that tournament, so we're not casting any shade here, <laughs> but seeing those back passes reminded me of how different yeah. the game looked back mm. then. What was your first reaction when the passback rule was passed back in the early 90s? I think that is probably the, the, the best change of rules ever made. That's a one <laughs> rule that made football better for absolute sure. So if, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. We, we play a final against possibly the best team in the world, Germany, uh, with every single player on the pitch, on the bench. It's a superstar, absolute superstar. We've got... I think we used 14 of our players all together in that tournament. <laughs> uh, we got one injured and sent to hospital and got operated on the same day from the semifinal. So we got, we got down to 13 players and we had two players with a fitness test they passed, which they never should have passed on the day. Listen, we, we, were, we were in trouble. We, and, and, and both of them were defenders, by the way. We <laughs> were in big, big trouble uh, playing against possibly the best team in the world. Um, and, and we hang in there. We hang in there, quit defending. Uh, we're not playing at all. We have Brian Lauder <laughs> we can pass the ball to, and he will try to keep it for as long as he can. Uh, and then we score. Out of the blue, we score. We get a little bit of luck, actually, some luck, because the tackle might might have been a foul today, definitely. It would have been a foul. That's why we won the ball. Um, the ball ended up with a guy called John Jensen, who... For I've, I mean, he's one of my best friends, so I can say this, but he's been trying all the way throughout the tournament. And that, that's training and matches. He's been trying to shoot. And the closest I think he's got to the goal was about 10 yards <laughs> over the bar. That's a close. <laughs> he was everywhere. The balls were everywhere. And then he hits this ball and goes in the top of the, of the goal. Top corner goal, possibly one of the best goals scored in the tournament. We're one nil up. Uh, and you just you just hang on to whatever you have. So this happens in the first half, and it's not too bad for Germany because they can regroup at half time, and uh, they do have some chances in the first half. But we ride the storm, and in the second half we have nothing. We have nothing. So whenever we get the ball, we try to get it up the other end, and there isn't an option. You know, Fleming Powelson, who was one of our strikers, would just turn around and kick it, that, you know, eighty yards back to me, and and I would just wait. <laughs> for Klinsmann or Karl-Heinz Riedler to come up to me and then I'd pick it up and then I'd kick it back. And then if we got the ball, they would keep it up there until they could and just kick it back to me. We're one nil up. Who cares what it looks like? You know? But I think, I think that was a good rule to change. I, uh, I also had this, I had a sense that it was going to change because that was even back then the same debate about how do we score more goals? Can we can we do something about the offside rule? Or, but this was the one the one thing that would that would up the tempo because you can put pressure on the goalkeeper and the ball will go into play straight away. So it was a 
an absolute no-brainer. Um, and, you know, it, it was, I was very happy with that change. I was, seriously. I thought it was a great change to football. Last question for you. A friend of mine told me recently that you are actually an NFL fan. And <laughs> I'm wondering, is that true? Who's your team? What's the story there? <laughs> well, my son is a great, massive NFL fan. A massive. Yeah. He watches... He comes back from his own games and obviously gets back in. The NFL games are on all the way throughout the night over the weekends. So he watches everything. Um, I, I am a very, I'm a very, very friendly with Morton Anderson, who uh, used to be, I mean, he's been at different places, uh, New Orleans, uh, Falcons, and he, he's now based in uh, Atalanta. And uh, I've been to see him and he's t- he took me to a Falcons game. Against it was against Green Bay Packers, and for me, it was the first time I, I was at uh, an NFL game live. I've mm-hmm. been to Vegas for the Super Bowl. I've been to you know one or two of those events, which again was very very special. But here live was unbelievable. What what a day that was! And sat next to someone who uh, you know he's a Hall of Famer. He he's he's there in the thick of it. Uh, someone who's spent most of his career sat out there watching all the plays and just come out to kick the ball, explaining everything, what was going to happen, this, that, that, and what an experience that was. One of the greatest day of sports I've ever had in my life. Uh, I really, really got to understand that the game that day. So, of course, because it was Falcons, that's a team I look at, you know. So, but I'm not, I mean, I have to say, it's difficult, really, really difficult to to work in TV, uh, doing uh, football or soccer in in in, the, in Europe. The the amount of, of games you have to watch just to to stay on top, and then add other sports, and and especially if they are in the middle of the night. So that doesn't happen too often for me, I have to say. Gotcha. But I love it. I think it's a great game, and I think we we in soccer there's there's there are things that we can we can definitely learn from from uh, from that game and. Um, and I think we are learning. There's a lot of guys watching the NFL now. Interesting. Peter Schmeichel is a regular on the CBS Sports Paramount Plus broadcast of the UEFA Champions League. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Peter Schmeichel as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.